Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Jen Faust is a strength and conditioning coach currently working at the University of Arkansas with both men's and women's track and field and cross-country teams. In addition, she's the co-owner of PowerX Performance, a consulting company bringing quality programming and structure to junior high and high school strength and conditioning. Jen is also the creator behind the brand Lobo Co., which raises money through apparel sales to give back to youth athletics. When she isn't coaching, she's training to compete in Olympic weightlifting and is working to popularize the sport in Arkansas by getting student athletes involved in local barbell clubs. Please enjoy our conversation with Coach Jen Faust. Yeah, thanks for having me on. My name's Jennifer Faust. Uh, I am a strength coach. I'm an assistant strength coach to track and field at the University of Arkansas. So I work with both men's and women's track uh, and cross country there. Uh, We just celebrated, the women at least celebrated a national title. uh, And then both teams celebrated SEC uh, titles as well. So yeah, it it was a good season for us so far and we're getting ready for outdoors. Well, congratulations. And uh, I I was so excited to hear that, um, especially in the context of some of the things that you, um, that we've talked about over this last year and a half or whatever it's been. Give us, if you don't mind, a little bit of the color between what it looked like March 2020 um, and and essentially what happened to the team and, and, and what has happened since that all has sort of culminated in this most recent national champion. Yeah. Um, it was a, it was definitely a crazy time for everybody. We were getting ready to go to nationals. We sent our teams off. Uh, they got there, and then before they ever got the chance to compete, everything, all sports, were shut down. So they were immediately flown back and never got the opportunity to compete for a national title last year. Um, and it's been crazy and also very cool to see them rise to the occasion and still put their work in throughout the year. I've seen athletes uh, doing sprints in the streets and setting up blocks in the streets to get practice in and um, setting up pole vaulting in their backyard and everything. So it's, they worked really, really hard to overcome their circumstances. And it's been really cool to see them come back this year. Um, I mean, even still wasn't easy to have a a season this year where they had no spectators and they were wearing masks a big part of the time and uh, still overcame all of that and pulled out a win. So it was really, really cool to see them do that. It's incredible. It's so, it it must be so rewarding for that group. And like we said, before we hit record here, the timeline is, it was so stark. I remember it very specifically that, that, you know, I mentioned that we work with some teams and some athletes that, that went to nationals as well, but they literally went. And like you said, they got and then turned around and got on the plane and came home. It was like, it was right at that break point with um, the whole COVID situation that they, they shut down and turned them around. So to be that close and then just have to put a cap on all on your efforts and your energies and your, and your goals really is uh, I, I can see how frustrating that would have been for people, but what an amazing display of, of like human spirit and all the, the good that comes from sports when it's done well. Like that mm-hmm. story, the image of a division one track athlete setting up blocks in the street over, you know, over, over through a lockdown is that, that's what it's all about. Yeah. What, so what's special about this group? What do you think stood out um, from within them? And, and 
who, where did they get the character and, and the drive to do all that? Yeah. Um, that's, that is tough to say this team, they just have so much confidence and they have so much just their work ethic from, I've worked with a lot of teams, a lot of athletes up until this point, and I've never seen a group of athletes that come into whatever situation they're in the weight room practice, whatever it may be. And they're just ready to work. And they're so focused always it's from ever the details, the things that they, um, the things they pay attention to, the questions they ask me in the weight room and why they're doing what they're doing. They just really care. Um, and they're so consistent. And because they do all of those things, I think it gives them that confidence when they go out to compete, they, they're ready. Um, right before nationals, I was asking them how they were feeling if they were amped up and, and their answers were really like, no, I'm, it's another day. It's another day of me pushing as hard as I can, just like I do in practice. And that was a crazy answer. Like you're going to a national level competition. In some cases, this competition is as competitive as the Olympics because our athletes I believe it. Yeah. here are, I mean, just overwhelmingly competitive. Um, so to see them just be as relaxed as they were and to have the answer, yeah, it's another day in practice. That It blew me away for them to have that kind of attitude. Uh, but that's it. They just their consistency, they focus, they're always, they're just ready. It's, it's the perfect answer because we, we, we advise people all the time. We're like, look, there's only one real kind of confidence and it's the confidence born out of hard work. We're not interested in swagger. We're not interested in, in, you know, like bravado in those sorts of ways. But, but if you really do, you know, like you, I'll use some of the words you use. If you're consistently ready, focused, uh, asking good questions, um, consistent, not only in attendance, but in approach, right, and, and caliber of work you put in, then yeah, the confidence sort of take, takes care of itself, um, and it's real, and you're not pretending, you actually, you actually do feel good about the work you're about to set in and do, so that's, I think it's amazing, um, do you, okay, I'm going to really dig in here, so how do you all, you, you say you have to field a lot of questions, what is the conversation between coach and athlete look like in such a high-achieving team, like, and I'll get real specific. Like, do you, when you give the workout for the day, is there a, do you uh, give something inspirational or do you have any reminders for the day when you break down from the workout? Like, like when are, where are the opportunities to work on um, mindset and what does that conversation look like? Yeah. Uh, there are those opportunities for sure to um, a lot of it. I, and from my perspective is on the front end, um, reminding them about some of that focus that they need to have going into their lifts. I know from the head coach's perspective, he always has something really great to say afterwards, um, just to just to keep them, keep their minds ready, keep them focused on the task at hand. Um, but for me, I it's one-on-one. -on -one. I like to build relationships. For me, I like to talk to these athletes individually, see where they're at, see how they're feeling, really dig into um, Kind of like I mentioned before, how are you ready to compete? How are you feeling? What was your recovery like? Um, mm -hmm. Things like that. So for me, I feel like they, uh, like I said, they're such a focused group. They come in and they're ready to work. They don't need much on the encouragement side. They don't have to be told to work hard. So yeah. I can leave some of that stuff out on the front end. Um, they're, they're going to come in and put the same effort in whether I give them a raw, raw speech or not. So, yeah. uh, so for me, like I said, it's just, it's talking to them one-on-one, -on -one, seeing where they're at, seeing how they're feeling, um, 
what they need from me as a coach. Well, you, you mentioned that's such an important uh, level of understanding to have. You know, we see we're lucky to work with a lot of coaches who who have a very natural ability to motivate. And I think um, one thing that we remind folks of is that true motivation includes an alignment with the motives of the person you're trying to whose behaviors you're trying to move. And yeah. sometimes um, that includes not doing a rah-rah speech. You know, we're not tasked at sometimes as coach if as coaches, we are ta- tasked with that when, when the concern or the opportunity or the problem, the area for growth is lack of energy or, or perceived motivation. Then we've got to like get in and juice the place up. But if they're already pretty locked in, then that's not, you know, then that's, that's not where our efforts should be. And it makes sense to me that you would then look into the more individualized approach. Like some of the things that you just said were fantastic. Like, how was your recovery? You know, I, I, I wonder if you'd agree with this, but I've had some of the best, the best conversations from a recovery standpoint have included, um, you know, Hey, how something like that, how's your sleep? You know, are you, are you doing any sort of mobility at home? Are you doing like, what does it all look like? And because then you get just, just asking, just opening the door, asking the question then gives the, the athlete the opportunity to come back to you and say, okay, but here's my concern. What do you think coach? You know what I mean? Like, how do I get over this, you know? So have you found that to be the case? Yeah, absolutely. Much easier than telling them, go drink your protein, make sure you go to bed early. Uh, These are high caliber athletes that they know those things. So for me, it's asking the right questions at the right time. And I'll give you another example too. Um, It's, it's really rare that we have athletes that are late or just not putting effort in because that's just not what this group does. But um, if, if that becomes a problem with an athlete, they're constantly showing up late. They're just, they're not there mentally. Sometimes it's easy. Instead of me telling them, get here on time, do this. I ask a question, is this, is being late going to help you reach your goals? Hmm. Um, and usually it's as simple as asking a question to reframe their mindset. And if they answer the question themselves, I'm no longer telling them what they need to do. They totally. answered it themselves. I, that makes that makes complete sense. And, and you know this, you've got sort of an insider's perspective already, but, but, in, but sort of gently and thoughtfully prodding people with that question, does your behavior match your goal, mm-hmm. is such an important part about it. Because you, you know this is just the truth of human psychology. You can, like, you know better oftentimes. All the, all the quote-unquote, like, questionable decisions we make in our life at least once you pass a certain level of maturity you're not like you're not duped into the idea that um eating four or five donuts in a sitting is a good idea you're not you you know what i mean that's not it's not a logic concern uh oftentimes it's it's like the act of being present and Mm -hmm. if you're going to shift the behavior it it probably has to come from from you like you said like how does how is this going to help you get where where you're trying to go um now they have to sort of wrestle with that in their heads. Okay. I'm going to make what might seem like an abrupt transition, but it isn't. Um, <laughs> our man coach Nadalna would, would acknowledge that I'm, that I pretend to be an expert at this, but, but when, when it comes to does your behavior match your goal, we're talking about track athletes, national champion, Olympic hopeful, super high achieving track athletes who train, lift, run, and train like champions. Um, what do you think of the NCAA's most recent, I think, trip up or, or, or screw up. I'm just going to lay it out there when it comes to what we refer to off camera as um, equity of opportunity to develop 
in terms of strength and conditioning at the most at the uh, March Madness competition for uh, men and women. What do you think of it? Um, First reaction was I was angry. I was a little upset, I think, for most women who have worked so hard to become good athletes or become good coaches in this field. They know it hasn't been easy. Uh, But then to see after everything that we have talked about on equality for this last year and everything that they have put out, even on their website about equality, uh, to see something that is that that dramatic, like that big of a difference. Um, It it was a little it was it was a sting. Uh, Yeah. I I want to hear more about this. And I'm I'm realizing just to set the stage for anyone who may not have seen this. Uh, there was a buzz on Twitter. It, for me, it happened in sort of two ways. There was a buzz on like social media about like pictures from the from the men's March Madness facility and like how cool is this? You know, there was just pictures of that. Like, how cool is this? And 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 you know, people chime in. Yeah, strength and conditioning and, and performance development. All this matters so much. Here, people are at the pinnacle of their sport training. And, and like, that's how amazing is that? You know, the clappy hands emojis. Like, mm-hmm. it was it was amazing very shortly after and people need if you have if you don't know what i'm referring to please do look it up it is just this fantastic um covid safe spread out like fantastic looking weight room and then people started tweeting from uh women's march madness tournament facility i think i don't know where i think that is do you know where that's located i think it's also in indianapolis somewhere i i, I could be totally wrong but uh the pictures were a small tree of dumbbells, and, the, and I think the heaviest one was probably like 30 pounds, and a freaking foldable table with some yoga mats on it, and a little, a little like handmade sign that says, please spray off after use. <laughs> like, it yeah. was, like you say, it was, if it was close, there's no conversation. So maybe it's almost good that this happened, because the right. disparity was, you, you use the word sting. I, you, people couldn't help but have like a like a visceral reaction to mm-hmm. um, that wild gap between those two facilities. Does that sound right? Is that what you saw too? Absolutely. Yeah. It was. It's almost like they did not even try, which I think is where everybody is so upset. Um, if if there would have been, uh, I, you know, we'll probably get into the topic of the financial side of all of this and where the money is coming from and all of that, but. Um, if we're saying just based on money, uh, I could see that maybe the men's weight room would be larger. However, I think that the women's uh, still can afford and deserve more than a small tree of dumbbells. Right. Um, and, and it goes a lot further than that, because as this all started coming out, there were uh, plenty of comments about like, well, well, women don't need weights anyways, or women don't need that much weight. They, things along uh, of that nature. Um, and I can tell you that there's not a single woman that I coach that would get a good workout from <laughs> a 30 pound dumbbell. dumbbell. No. They can lift much more than that. So uh, just kind of all of that together was, and uh, the excuses of, well, there wasn't enough space and I'm sure you saw videos of the space that they did have available to them. Yeah. There was enough space for some squat racks and some barbells. Well, I was going to say, take away the foldable table and, and there's an Olympic, the space for an Olympic station right there. And, and, Absolutely. A, and, the space, and the, just the square footage of a foldable table with the freaking yoga mats on it. So just to add some color from someone who's worked with national champion athletes at that level, 
what do your athletes do? What, like, how do they, you know, we, we are going to break this apart. Like you said, we'll dig into it a little bit more, but um, just so for, for those who might be of the, of the, the false opinion, misguided, misinformed opinion that like a 30 pound dumbbell is plenty, you know, what are some of the things that your athletes are doing in the way? Yeah. Uh, our athletes cover all of the Olympic lifts, cleans, um, they do split jerks and they do heavy bench press. They do heavy squats. They do heavy deadlifts. Um, we even teach some of our athletes based on their specific, what they're training for. We'll teach them snatches. Um, we, I mean, we cover everything. everything. Um, they use a barbell every single day that they're yeah. in the weight room. And you were telling me that they move some freaking weight too, don't they? Like you've got some oh, strong sure. people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Our women can, I mean, our women in some cases are stronger than our men's team and they're, <laughs> which is ironic that we're having this conversation um, about, about a weight room, but yeah. they, I mean, they can clean close to or more than 200 pounds, which for them, they're weighing significantly less than that. Right. Percentage um, of body weight. That's very Absolutely. impressive. Yeah. And on deadlifts, clean pulls, squats, they're lifting much, much more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I just, I can't help but go through my head. Like who was put in charge of this? Like some, some, <laughs> some dude uh, was just putting, it had to be a dude was put in charge <laughs> of this. And like, yeah, you know, what do you, what do you think the ladies need for their basketball? And I know, I know how women train a yoga mat. That's all they need, you know. <laughs> Wouldn't it, and wouldn't it be nice if there were some dumbbells? My kid, I, I, I don't know. I'm sorry, I, but I do. It makes me sort of. It makes me pretty upset, actually, as well. And I, you know, I don't want to speak for you, and I don't want to. I don't want to speak for anyone. I just know that the the strength program that we are a part of um, is focused on one thing, and that is that's human development, and it takes multiple forms. There's an obvious performance component, like you, like we are trying to make people faster and stronger and more resistant to injury and, and things of that nature, for sure. We're also trying to use the weight room, as you know, for as an educational platform to teach not only those, those uh, complementary uh, skills like wellness, like taking care of your own wellness outside of the weight room, but also empowerment through strength. So, so much good can happen there. And that's why to me, this felt like such an, like an insult, you know, mm -hmm. like it's it just, a, just a forgotten opportunity for these young women who are like at the peak of their sports in the shining moments of their athletic career, potentially. And it's just an afterthought for some numbskull who's, who's keeping the books at the NCAA. I'm sorry, NCAA. I know that there's, <laughs> I know the organization does a lot of good things for a lot of people, but this is, this was a really big mistake in my Sure. Opinion. Yeah. So, all right. So let's move immediately from there to um, some of the concerns. You mentioned the financial thing and some of the things that we've talked about, about, uh, you know, why potentially this could happen, what, what some of the argument, counter argument things are. And then I want to lead into the resources that you had on your, um, that drew me to this conversation with you, which was some of the stuff that you had up on your Instagram account, which I thought was so good and actionable. Yeah. So what do you think, how would you define some of the problems, maybe even from like a financial standpoint? Where, what, what kind of arguments are you hearing? Hmm. Well, the big one is the, the March Madness tournament, um, basketball specifically for the NCAA brings in the majority of their funds. So, oh, sure. yeah. I mean, that is, I did a little bit of research on it after all of this came out. And I mean, it, it is, it's 
it's where most of their money comes from. Um, a lot of this money they put back into these schools that compete. So yeah. Um, to to so, put, can I give a number on that? I just looked it up too. Yeah. Last year around this time when they weren't able to host it, the NCAA lost $800 million in revenue. Right. Um, so there you go. That's a lot. That's a, a lot. lot of money. Fair um, enough. <laughs> and yeah, and it's, it's, so the argument is that the men bring in more money um, and therefore should be given the weight room. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I, that's what I have seen over and over and over again, as far as the main argument for why this was acceptable. Right. And again, I, I need you to push back on me wherever I potentially overstep because I just sometimes get excited and heated and things like that. But, but the, I, I, from all of I, from everything I've tried to sort of comb through within this discussion, there, there is something about that that seems misguided. There's also something about that that seems kind of fair to some degree. And I'm putting an asterisk on that before people uh, get upset with me. But like, it, you know, if, if you think of the NCAA as a business, hypothetically, it, it might be even easier to imagine in the professional realm. So let me do, let me, let me move to the professional realm just to put my two cents in and then we can come back to NCAA, which you and I both, I think, agree is different than the pros. There's a different, there should be a different heart to what the NCAA is doing than what the pros are doing. But if you go to the pro level and say the NBA versus the WNBA, okay, with well, the revenue pulled in from the NBA, I'm, you, you know, it, it does make sense that if what's coming in is a larger number, then what can be spent on players is also a larger number. That may, I, I, I get that. That makes sense right. to me. Right. Um, I would say that that is true. One thing within that needs to be examined though. And this is just where I'm coming from. And I, I have no answers yet. I'm just sort of working through the idea. You know, well, why are male sports watched uh, more than female sports? There could be a thousand reasons and I'm not going to get into all of them. But one of the reasons I know this is true is that men were first kind of, mm-hmm. meaning uh, because there was no Title IX in place, because we were sort of working our way toward gender equity, like the guys were on display. What does that mean? It means there are 50 plus years of investment in that sport from a systemic level, you know, like, um, you know, pro, you know, professional basketball has, has a, like a half century head start on mm-hmm. women's professional basketball guys, you know, men versus women. Uh, I think the same is true for NCAA. You know, they are part of the reason the, the amount of revenue that is coming in is, is so much is so high. There's so many dollars on it is because there's so many eyes on it. The reason there's so many eyes on it is because we sort of made it that way, you know? So, so again, no, no judge. I'm just trying to assess. I'm trying to assess, not judge. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, there are more dollars going into the men's tournament than the women's tournament, but also we are, we, it's because that's the system we set up and, and uh, the women now have just such a, have a steeper uphill climb because the men got such a head start. That's when, you know, it becomes sort of more of like, an equity discussion should that be factored into it and if so how so yeah I, I guess on that what are your thoughts on that and then some what are some of those actionable ideas you had to maybe balance it off a little bit right uh, I agree um I read the other day that women's participation in sports has more than doubled in the last 30 years oh, but wow. even with that it we are still not as many women participate in sports events as men do. 
Um, so that is, I mean, that's, that's an obvious one is just participation. Um, and then mm -hmm. from, and that's going to slowly continue to grow uh, over time. Thank you, but right. we, we are, I mean, we are behind. Men kind of got a head sport when it, a head start when it comes to playing sports. So I think for, <clears throat> for us, if we want to eventually make things more equal, um, looking again, like looking at the financial side of things, if we complain that women's sports are not getting the equal amount of things that men's sports are, we have to take steps to be able to fund those things um, and to put them in the spotlight a little bit more. So for that, the, the easy ones are go to their games, go to their matches, just show up. Um, and I was also reading too, where a lot of where this money comes from is televised events, marketing commercials, like they're getting a ton of money to from companies that are just putting commercials in between these games, right? Um, that's not the case with the, with women's basketball. So um, if more people were watching though, that would become the case. So right. so part of that is just is showing up, watching them on TV or showing up to their, their events. Um, that's totally and, right. Yeah. The other big one is, is where you spend your money. Or, I mean, how many jerseys are out there right. of, of professional men's basketball players where are women's jerseys or right. um are you again showing up to their games are you buying things while you're there are you i mean anything like that where we're spending our money is is where it's going to grow you're right it's like to the people in charge dollars make sense you, you see mm -hmm. that pun you see what i did there yeah <laughs> but but it's true it's like you, you know, we are, I think step one, I think we're at a really important step one, which is under really seeing and shining a light on the disparity. That feels like a really necessary step one. And then, and then my question all with all of this always becomes, okay, well then what's step two? Um, what you just said reminded me of, I mentioned to this, this to you on the phone, it reminded me of uh, a question I'll ask sometimes in a presentation that I have given the past few years on International Women's Day, and it, you know it's all about it's all about women in sports. So one thing that that we try to do is highlight women in sports. Like Diana Taurasi is one of the best basketball players who ever lived. Period. And and I think by highlighting her efforts, not only hopefully do you drive attention toward the sport. But you also, like you said, when you talk about, uh, you know, female participation in, in sports increasing, hopefully, part of that includes like you, you sort of you need heroes at the top. You know, how many how many kids grew up wanting to be Michael Jordan in basketball or then Kobe Bryant or LeBron James? You, you need those things to sort of strive for. So the more light we shine on Diana Taurasi or one of my all time favorites, Mia Hamm in soccer, like they have to be, they have to be in a public position high enough for young, young girls, um, young women to, to have something to really reach for. I think that's, you know, there's something, you know, we all want to have a nice story arc to our lives and, you know, having a, a kind of a hero in mind matters. So, so shining a light on the women who are doing it really, really well feels important. But then at the end of this, this conversation where I try to dig into a lot of things that you've discussed as well, I asked the question, and this is exactly on point with what you were saying. I'm, I'm like, you know, we're in Chicago and I'm like, well, raise your hand if you've been to a Bulls game in the last three years. Raise your hand if you own a Bulls, like you said, a jersey or a t-shirt or something like that. 
and as you can imagine, there's a significant amount of hands raised. And then we say, okay, now raise your hand if you've been to a Chicago Sky game in the last few years. And Chicago Sky is our, our local um, uh, WNBA team. And you got, and it's like crickets and it's sad. So what, one thing that we actually started to do, once I realized what that disparity was like, two things occurred to me. One was that, man, we, if this is important to us, we have to do just what you said, which is put our, put our dollars where our hearts are, right? If we believe this is an issue, okay, buy a ticket, spend your time, show up to the game. Uh, you know, this sounds like a small thing, but follow them on social media, give them attention, you know, because that can be converted into dollars. Like you, you have to speak with your dollars, um, mm-hmm. I, I believe. And then, so again, I'm always like, okay, then, and then now what? Um, we started, you know, I actually have a great picture. I should try to find this, but we, so we just said, okay, we're going to do it at the end of the summer. We're going to, I think it was like August. We, we brought a group to a WM, uh, to the Chicago sky game and all yeah. of it, it was, it was all guys. They all bought t-shirts. They were all cheering sort of like fools. Uh, but they were, but they were into it because they, you know, they like sports, they like basketball. And, and, yeah. and oftentimes it just takes like, you know, sometimes you have to, develop a template you have to walk the path and then you know as we all know then it becomes easier as you're a strength coach in the weight room sometimes sometimes you got to grab the bar and say okay this is what you're supposed to do yeah um and i think that metaphor holds for this so okay sorry so you you mentioned two big ones uh attendance and uh and literally like purchasing jerseys and stuff like that what were what were some of the other ones that you posted about uh, along with kind of where you spend your money, being supportive of companies that um, they have both men and women athletes, like they they support or um, sign with uh, both men and women. Um, so just being mindful of of where you spend your money that way too. Uh, you mentioned the social media thing; that's a big one. Uh, like share, we always share our favorite college football team whenever they're getting ready when it's game day. Um, how much are we sharing when our women are playing? So things like that, uh, just putting it out there. That's a big one is they're just not getting as much marketing either. So mm-hmm. they're not getting as much exposure uh, because we, I mean, myself included, we don't share those things as often. Um, you, I mean, I can probably name more men athletes than I can women athletes. It's just because mm-hmm. it's, it's what's in the news. It's what's on ESPN. It's what we see. So Uh, just being aware. And then I would say another really big one is just being mindful of the language that we use around uh, women's athletics, Um, not making it uh, like I said, I saw a lot of it just over this recent issue. Um, Like I mentioned before, the tweets about women not needing weights because they don't lift very much Um, or just, just negative language around, um, not needing those things, not being as athletic or, or whatever, because it's not the case, but it's kind of what we have been conditioned to believe. Yeah. Conditioning is the right word. I think language goes so far in the conditioning of people. I think you're exactly right. I've, uh, you know, it, it, and a lot of people do it accidentally and that's mm-hmm. uh, I, I'll sort of let people off the hook momentarily um, for that because a lot of people use, because you use the word mindful, I think the opposite of mindful obviously is mindless. And I think people mm-hmm. mindlessly, though not with like any necessarily ill intent, right. just use language that is, uh, you know, sort of keeping female athletes down and they, and they don't even really mean to, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I won't dig into the how and why of, of those folks 
right now because you know but i think empathy is a valuable skill i just uh, you know i'm not that's not where i'm at right now i'm i'm thinking more of like what can we teach people to make sure that it doesn't happen like that i think yeah. i think putting you know just the language of limitation is a problem you know you know girls can't lift you know or girls don't like to lift or girls don't like the weight room uh, whatever it is like even if you think you're right okay i just got heated i'm sorry i got to share this so when i first took over my my job, my my day job is a strength and conditioning coach at a, in this part of my day job. I'm the staff and student wellness coordinator overseeing a strength and conditioning department uh, that has 2,000 weekly visits. And we we serve athletes, period. Gender is not a part of that statement. Uh, our, some of the female athletes that we have come through weight room are some of the freaking baddest kids on the on the campus. You know, like they're mm-hmm. awesome. We've got state champions, state champion hopefuls, uh, multi-time state champions hard workers, dedicated athletes. And I remember when I first took over the position, uh, we, it was pull up specifically to this, a, a coach that had been at the school for a while. I, I'm not kidding about this, Jen. He said, girls can't, you can't put pull-ups in the program. Girls can't do pull-ups. I'm like, are you, fr-? I, I almost said effort. You, <laughs> you have to be kidding me. Yeah. Like, what do you mean a girl can't do a pull-up? That is, a, that is, and I hope everyone hears this. I'm not, I'm not, posturing right now what do you mean a girl can't do a pull-up a girl can't do this motion you know what i mean i'm like we'll teach them to do pull-ups do we have to do some assistance at first because you know they have whatever do we have to do we have to adjust this somehow you're crazy and i remember that at the end of that first year now this is sort of an anomaly the stories don't always set up this cleanly but we had a we had a girl who went on to ultimately play lacrosse at colorado so she was a legit athlete to begin with uh, not a very high body weight. So maybe body weight movements were easier, but she did 20 pull-ups at the end of that year. And I was like, you got it. There you go. And that was, yeah. you know, but it's just, you know, I start to think about how this maps on to, to the current situation. I'm like, it's, it's the said principle, specific adaptation to impose demand. If you don't impose the demand because your language has adjusted the expectation and therefore your behavior in the space, then why would you ever get that as an outcome? You know, couldn't you think, and this is like where I'm at with that coach right now, couldn't you imagine a situation where girls can't do pull-ups because you don't ask them to do pull-ups and you don't help them do it and you don't help with the move, you know, couldn't that be the case? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, and you're right. And then those girls believe that they right. cannot do pull-ups now because they have been told that is the case. And then they don't try to do them because right. they don't think they can. Uh, same example. I, I mean, we've all probably as strength coaches have heard similar things. I've had, I've had women come up to me in the weight room and say, I can't do this. And then when I want to know why they can't, they, they immediately go to, well, I'm not strong enough or whatever the case may be. And it's because they've been told that before. Right. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It reminds me of, you know, growth mindset, which you've heard of, you know, the difference between, you know, fixed mindset and a growth mindset. Growth mindset is all language. It's like you essentially indoctrinate someone through language, like a growth mindset saying like, like you just said, I'm not strong enough yet. And here's what I'm going to do to try to get there. That would be a growth mindset or I'm not strong where the counter, like you said, be mindful of the use of this language. You know, girls can't do pull-ups. That's a hard stop sort of comment. That doesn't yeah. leave a lot of room for growth. And, and like you said, it just sort of becomes part of, you know, if that's what you hear as a young athlete, a young female athlete from, from early on, then why would you not believe that? You know, that's part of our role is it's, it's part of the weight that we carry as coaches is that, at least at first, like more often than not, they're going to believe you. 
if you say and say with conviction, they're going to believe you. And if you're saying something that is limiting to the athlete, that's bad. And now to bring us back to this moment in time, when you give, when you give some of the elite athletes on the planet, a little dumbbell tree and a yoga mat and say, good luck. You're, you know, it's not language, but that you're saying something NCAA or or whoever put that together, you're making a pretty loud statement. So yeah, they're saying, they're saying that you are not stronger than this dumbbell tree. Mm. You don't need these because you aren't strong enough to use them, which I know from our women's basketball team that I have helped with a few times. That is not the case. No chance. Nor is it probably the case for any other team out there. Probably and definitely not the teams that are in the NCAA tournament. No, no. And what about you? So let's transition to you now. So you, I mean, you would, you would tear apart a 35 pound dumbbell tree. Like, right. I mean, you're a pretty legit athlete too. I've seen the videos. Yeah. Um, yes, I definitely use, I compete in Olympic weightlifting. So lift much more than 30 pounds, uh, every day, but, um, and, and want to continue to do that to set the example for the athletes that I coach. It's still pretty taboo for women to train to become stronger or train to put on muscle. It is still very much thought that women only lift or exercise to be able to lose weight. Hmm, um, yeah. So I, I am trying to, I guess, do my very small part in changing that thought process, changing that dynamic that women can go into the weight room just to be stronger, to be more athletic, to be able to train because it's, it's fun and you can be strong and you can lift heavy weights. Um, and just trying to show that. Yeah. Well, good for you. It's not a small thing. It's a, it's a big thing. Like we said, people, young people need models. Um, you, you know, Hootie, right? Mm-hmm. She says, uh, you know, one of the comments, and I don't know if she was the first to say this, but, but I quote her on this is just strength is never a weakness. You know, and that, that idea, like, you know, you know, women aren't meant to be strong. I, that, how disempowering is that language? You know, oh, like, yeah. no, you, you can definitely, I don't know. Anyway, um, it, it does remind me to kind of bring it full circle. It reminds me of, of the mantra that we use at the Good Athlete Project. Does your behavior match your goal? One thing that has really rung true to me over this past year with all sorts of complicated, important conversations inequity going around that part of that mantra is your goal like Mm -hmm. does your behavior match your goal not does does your behavior match the societally imposed set of goals you know or or the goal of of like your neighbor or or even a parent but like does your behavior match your goal Mm -hmm. and i think one of the reasons that i'm so pumped to have you kind of in the fold in general and and on the podcast with us today is because that does feel like it rings true to you. Like no one's telling you how to lift. You're going to like Jen lifts how Jen wants to lift, you know, <laughs> period. It, it, it's cool to see. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, luckily I was, I was definitely raised in a family that encouraged me to do whatever I wanted to do and, and taught me to believe that I could do anything I set my mind to. And I found weightlifting and I loved it. And so I was able to stay with it and keep with it. Um, and I've had, I've luckily had coaches in my life that have encouraged that and have told me that I was strong and capable. Um, I would like to be that coach for other women too, because I realized that that's not always the case. Like you said, there was a coach, this was fairly recently that said, 
girls can't do pull-ups. And that, that makes me sad because that is not true. So, um, I, I do feel lucky enough to have had really good role models in my life that have encouraged me and taught me that I can do those things. Um, and I think that we just, over time, we slowly just have to kind of, like I said before, just change the, change the mindset around what women are capable of in the weight room. Uh, it's, they're every bit as capable as anybody else. No doubt. And, and I'm, I, 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 we have to do another one of these because I want to hear more about your family at some point and how they got you to be where you are. I, I, so I, I mean that open invitation here. Yeah. But I have to, I'll leave us because we're at time on that idea. Like, you know, even like, I would even go this far if there's still anyone who's even mildly skeptical about this whole thing. But like when you say women are every bit as capable and, and devoted to the weight room and things like that, here's what I would say from my experience. I, I've been in a lot of situations where the female athletes are more dedicated in, mm -hmm. to the weight room than some of our guys teams. And that's not, I am not taking a shot at any of our guys teams, but I'll tell you right now that I've told this story before, but it's one of the most important it's, it's been really influential in my life and my career and, and just the way I approach things. Like um, I, I referenced Jim Burnside who happens to be an active advisor to the good athlete project. He's also assistant AD at Nutrier. He's also an active hall of fame coach. He's, he's fantastic. He's won, I don't know how many state championships come in second, multiple, you know, top 10 rankings in the nation, just unbelievably successful coaching women's soccer. He's just really, really freaking good. And I remember when they turned a corner in their program, this is a program who has won state championships before he turned a corner in the program where one year he said, we're going to lift. It's going to become part of our culture. I had, I had pretty recently, um, taken over the position. We'd never had like a full-time strength coach at the school before. He said, this is gonna be part of what we do. Period. End of story. I believe in it. I want to keep my, my girls safe. If nothing else, you know, I'm sure the statistics mm -hmm. on you know, how uh, women in a certain age bracket just happens to be the one, the age bracket that we work with you and I, mm -hmm. um, is, is like two or three times more susceptible or, or more likely to have an, an ACL type injury, a major knee injury than, than any other part of the population. Right. Anyway, he said, if that, you know, this is part of what we do. And that first year, people were very skeptical, mostly because, like you mentioned, they were sort of indoctrinated by the language of the people around them to, you know, not think this was for them. And uh, he lost goal scores. Girls actually quit the team. So this is, but but listen, Jen, you'd love this guy. So this is how dedicated he was. He was like, "That's okay, my because his behavior matched his goal." He's like, "I'm really sorry to see you go, but I believe that this is right, and this is what we're going to do as a program." Now, once it sunk in, things really started to get interesting. And I give, I always preface this with, you got an active Hall of Fame coach, a bunch of other coaches who are just amazing, uh, really talented players, all of that stuff, amazing institutional support. But that team who had devoted themselves to the weight room, two, I think it was two or three years after that first year where he lost goal scores, they started a run that's almost unprecedented in the state. They won three consecutive state championships. Then they went back to the state championship and lost in overtime PKs. Then they went back to the state and championship and lost in overtime PKs. So there's a five-year run where there's like, they're an overtime away from going five for five. And, um, and, and that actually brings us up to now because there was the COVID year and now they're, they're back in the weight room again. But, but you should see them. They out-train. They don't just out-train a lot of the other girls' soccer teams in the state. They out-train most teams in the state. They just care that much about their purpose about each other and it's really inspiring so yeah 
you um, you said something I think was really important. It was about building that culture. And I think going forward, like that is the ultimate thing that we can start to do to make a, a real difference is to just build a good culture around all athletics, women's included. Yeah, that's right. I like that. It is a, it's a product of the culture and you and Jim Burnside and, and it's the coaches who ultimately create those cultures. So I appreciate you saying that. I think you're exactly right. Um, all right. So anyone who wants to find you, where do they find you? Uh, social media or, or online? What's, what's the best way? Yeah. Um, on Instagram, it's at Jen Faust, F-O-U-S-T is my last name. One N, right? J-E-N. Yes. F-O-U-S-T. Mm-hmm. Um, and Instagram is your primary location for all that stuff? Yes. Yeah, awesome. I try to put out try to put out educational content as well as just uh, updates on lifting and coaching and all of that. I love it. All right. Well, I'm going to, as we put this out, I'll make sure that we include it in the show notes and I'll, uh, I'll repost that that actionable guide you had in this moment of, of um, strength and conditioning inequity from the NCAA. So thanks for talking. Um, let's talk more. Let's talk again. We could do, uh, there, there's a lot of different roads we could travel through this. So let's keep it going. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Do you need business cards? Do you need flyers, posters, custom thank you notes, or any sort of stationery to take your business to the next level? If so, then you've got to see the good people at Mighty Printing. They've got two locations. One of them's up north in Glencoe, Illinois. The other is right in the heart of Chicago on 180 West Washington Street. They do most of the printing for the Good Athlete Project, and we just could not do our business without them. They've also worked with teams like the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Blackhawks. They've worked with Let Us Entertain You Restaurant Group. They do holiday cards. They do wedding cards. They help you. They help you not only celebrate special occasions, but make them that much more special. And like I said, if you are a small business owner or a large business owner, they will give you the sort of personalized service combined with incredibly high quality goods. You just can't find that combo, honestly, anywhere else. Find them online at mightyprint.com. That's M-I-T-E print, P-R-I-N-T.com. And on Instagram, same thing, at mightyprint, M-I-T-E print. And tell them the Good Athlete Project sent you.